0: All right, welcome to episode number two of the Cycling with Watts podcast. So happy to have you back. We're going to get into some good stuff today. Also, I have a new soundboard, so we're going to be playing some sounds like that we're super excited to hear the Cycling with Watts podcast. Thank you very much to the live studio audience that I have here. Actually, it's just my cat, Mercs looking at me, but I have a cup of coffee, a full water bottle, and so we're ready to get into it today. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, we got some pro tour stuff. We have a couple of people signing with some new teams, which is exciting. We have some updates on who will be riding in the Tour of Britain, so wait for that. There's a great duo coming into that. Also, the Bink Bank Tour is going on right now, so we'll have updates on that. Also, we're going to get into the ever-popular and also nerdy tire pressure debate and what tire pressure you should be riding for maintenance. And then we are also going to be talking about training with a power meter. So stay tuned, and we're going to play that intro. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, we are going to get into some Pro Tour cycling stuff, so let's get right into it. So, first and foremost, Tour Britain coming up September 2nd through the 9th. Of course, it's over in Britain, but two riders just announced that they are going to be riding that, and that is none other than Tour de France winner, Garen Thomas, and his trusty sidekick, Chris Froome. I'm super excited to see those two come back racing. Also, it's great because in the past, Chris Froome, when he's won the Tour, he's kind of done for the year, which is fine. Except for last year when he, you know, he won the Vuelta, but we get to see him race again in something other than the Crits and stuff that the Tour de France puts on afterwards. So super excited to see that one coming up, which I'm pumped about. So let's get a. Should we get an applause for that? That sounds good. Thank you very much. So let's talk a couple transfers as well. Biggest news today coming up with the transfer market is Nicky Terpstra of Quick Step Floors. He is going to be moving over to Direct Energy, which I find this to be an interesting move for Terpstra, as he was good in the classic season. He won one of the classics races, competed in the Tour de France for Quick Step. And I find it interesting moving from probably the best team in cycling to Direct Energy, who is a smaller squad. They're good in their own right, but if you watch the Tour de France, basically their job is to animate the race. They're the ones in the breakaways. You had Esteban Chavanel, one of the legends in the peloton. He was up at the breakaway quite often for Direct Energy this year in the Tour so just kind of an interesting move, going from one of the top teams in the world to a smaller team. I don't know if he's going to be the leader there. I don't believe so. He's not He's not a GC-type rider. He's more of a, a punchy rider built for the classics or kind of like a hillier stage, maybe like a Greg Van Avermaet. I mean, GVA is, is much better, but maybe kind of that's, that style of rider. So I think it's kind of interesting. But also, I'm wondering if Quick Step Floors maybe pushed out Terpstra, because I've heard in the past that... Terpstra kind of rides on his own agenda, rides for himself, this and that. So maybe he might not be the best teammate, and he might be getting a little bit too full of himself after a couple of good finishes this year. So we will see more on that one. But Nikki Terpstra is moving from Quickstep Floors to Direct Energy, and we also don't know if this has anything to do with the sponsorship dilemma going on over at Quickstep. And then also, this isn't a transfer news, but a signing news, super exciting to hear that Ellen Noble, a U.S. mountain bike rider, she rides for the Trek team, she used to ride, or she became famous, I would say, on the cyclocross team of Rafa with Jeremy Powers. And she had a whole documentary series last year called Behind the Barriers. That was her, Jeremy Powers and their other teammate going around to all the cyclocross races and get the 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 behind-the-scenes basically look into that. that was called Behind the Barriers. Definitely recommend watching that. It's about a half hour each episode. But it really gives a good insight into what it's like to be a cyclocross rider at that level. But she moved over to the mountain bike side for 2018. is riding with the Trek team. She is riding with women like Emily Batty out of... Canada. And exciting news for Ellen Noble, she just signed with Team Red Bull as well. So if you ever see anybody out biking with a Red Bull helmet on, that means that they are a Red Bull athlete. So that's super prestigious. Emily Batty right now on her team is a Red Bull athlete. And there's a couple athletes in the mountain bike, cyclocross world that are also Red Bull athletes. So it's exciting to see a U.S. rider Get some recognition on that top level in cycling. So super excited for Ellen Noble. She just announced it yesterday. Bellonews.com has the whole story. So go check that out if you haven't seen it already. And go follow Ellen Noble on Instagram. She's great to give a follow to. Again, awesome to see an American rider at the top level. Putting in work. Putting in work. All right, so what racing is going on Right now, the Pink Bank Tour is going on currently, and Jasper Stoven of Trek Segafredo won Stage Four, and the overall lead right now is Mateo Mohoric of Bahrain Marita. And also, I will butcher many names throughout this podcast, but Mateo Mohoric of Bahrain Marita is in first place of the general classification. Now, as I was looking through the general classification, I came upon an amazing name. He is number five on the leaderboard, and his name is Taco Vanderhorn. Taco Vanderhorn. That is an amazing first name. I can't believe it. I cannot believe that his name is Taco. I mean, that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I just thought I'd, I'd throw that out to everybody because that is a great first name. And I accidentally hit the boo on the soundboard. I don't know why I hit the boo. That was I was trying to swipe because that does not get a boo. That should get like, a, like the biggest applause that there is not even on this soundboard. So we're not going to play that. But yes, Taco Vanderhorn. Love that name. All right, so let's get into some tire pressure talk. We'll move away from Pro Tour Cycling and get into our mechanic clinic, mechanic hotspot, mechanic spot. I don't know. We're going to get into the mechanic talk. So tire pressure. If you don't know anything about tire pressure, that is okay. That is what this talk is about to enlighten you about all of the nerdy, geeky, different things that you can do with your tire pressure. You probably never knew that there was this many options out there. You probably are just sticking to what it says on the sidewall of your tire, which is a great place to start. At least you are pumping up your tires. As a mechanic, there's like three things that I see most often. Saddle height, not correct. Here, squeaky chain, which we talked about on yesterday's podcast. And then number three, is tires not inflated? People believe that you do not have to inflate your tires like your car, but you do have to inflate your tires. People come to me all the time and ask, Hey, I think there's a slow leak in my tube. And I ask them the question, Is it a slow leak over two weeks or is it a slow leak overnight? And they usually tell me it is a slow leak over two weeks, which is perfectly normal. Your tubes will lose air pressure over time so over a two-week period that is not a slow leak overnight that is a slow leak and I pump up my tires before I ride every single time because that is going to give me the most efficient ride that I can it's going to give me the best feeling smoothest ride possible along with preventing as many pinch flats as possible I rarely flat which I should knock on wood for that one that was a not a soundboard that was me literally knocking on wood but i i believe that is because i pump up my tires almost every single time i check my tires too to see if anything has gotten in there like little pebbles little pieces of glass anything like that i check that quite often but yes running low tire pressure will increase the likelihood of you getting a pinch flat so if you're on the road what tire pressure should you be running well that really depends on what size tire you are running and what your purpose is biking that day so let's stick with a 25 tire 700 by 25 tire so if you have a 700 by 25 tire the best place to start is at 100 psi that is probably what your tire is going to recommend anyways but let's start there now what's the lowest that we can go down to The lowest I would probably recommend going down to ever on a 25 is 70 to 75, depending on how much you weigh. So when you're factoring in how much tire pressure you should be running, you should factor in what type of road surface are you riding on, how much you weigh, and what it's like that day. Is it raining? Is it dry? Is it super hot? Super cold? Something like that. So let's stick with that seven hundred by twenty-five. I am one hundred and sixty-ish pounds on a good day. Every once in a while, I drop below one hundred and sixty. You know, if you're if you're super into, into road cycling, you you care about your weight. And I was a wrestler growing up, so I've always been concerned about, or, or at least I know how much I weigh at all times. But let's say I'm one hundred and sixty pounds, and I'm riding a seven hundred by twenty-five C tire. And I'm going out on a nice 70-degree day, and I'm going to ride pretty smooth roads. I like to ride about 95 in the back and 90 up front when I'm going out for a training ride. Now, let's say I am racing in those same conditions. I'm going to put it at about 100 in the back, 95 up front. like A little little bit harder for race day. But the old adage was always pump up your tires as hard as you can. And that will make you the fastest. Well, they've actually proven that that is not true. I mean, in today's world, we're going to wider tires and lower air pressure because they've done the science, people way smarter than me, and figured out that rolling resistance actually decreases at a certain level with less air pressure. And that is because with less air pressure, what they're finding out is that the tire gets more surface area across the road and is able to dig in or fill in those little bumps in the road and so that's why you have to factor in what type of surface you are riding so majority of us do not get to ride on pristine pristine tarmac but if you do get to ride on pristine tarmac and that's majority of your ride pump that sucker up i mean you can pump that thing up pretty high you know you can go to 100 105 maybe if you're riding on that ultra smooth road surface again going back to that 700 by 25 tire. But if you're like most of us, where we ride on regular roads, shoulders, sidewalks, bike paths, you generally ride on good road, but it's not pristine tarmac. And that's where you can then dial that pressure back. And so depending on what I'm going to ride, I will even go down as low as 85 on a 700 by 25 tire. If I know I'm going to be riding on a little bit crappier road because it's going to give me a little bit softer of a ride. I'm not gonna get as jarred over all of those bumps because I know that my tire is gonna sit into those cracks, sit into those bumps, and all of that good stuff. But it's also gonna make me faster on that road surface. So, again, you have to factor in the road surface and, and do some experimentation. I found out what works well for me on the road with my weight and what I like and the feel that I like with my bike on a 700 by 25 tire. Now let's take my same road bike and I pop a 700 by 28 on there. And it's a completely different feel. It is amazing how much difference a tire can make on a bike. Now, generally they're the same tread. I ride continentals. So I like continental gator skin, continental GP 4000. Gator skins are just very durable tires. And they're great for training. And then I would say the GP I have on my carbon wheel set. And I'm able to race on those, train on them. It just It's a great all-around tire. Pretty good price point as well. That's what we carry in the Velofix vans as well. So I'm, I'm a little bit partial to Continental. And find a tire that you like and that you feel confident with as well. So let's go to a 28 now. Now, basically on 28, I start at 80. That's, that's my max almost. I will go a little bit harder, possibly, but 80 PSI, which that gives you a completely different feel, and it is amazing how much softer that ride is. And I'll pump that baby down even to 70, 65. Now, I know people, if you ever watch Global Cycling Network, GCN, they ride over in Britain where the roads are a little bit crappier, a little wetter majority of the time and they ride a lot on a 700 by 28 at 60 to 65 psi so we've come a long ways from the day back in the 700 by 21 or 23 tires where you're pumping it up to 120 140 and now let me let me also point out we are talking about clincher tires so tire and tube we're not talking about tubulars or tubeless that is a completely different topic but i would say most of us probably ride Clinchers. So you have come a long ways from that 120 psi to where now I can ride a 700 by 28 and pump that down to 65, 70. So a general rule of thumb is the crappier or softer the road surface, so say you're going to do a little bit of gravel or something like that, the lower the tire pressure. The harder, nicer road surface that you were on, the higher tire pressure you can run. And so that's that's another area to factor in. We've been talking about mainly Road, but let's say you're going to ride some gravel. Let's say you have a cyclocross bike. And cyclocross, that is a completely different subject on tire pressure. That is, it, people are very meticulous. And I, I'm going to start my cyclocross racing this fall, recording this in August. And I, I'm really excited to delve into the world of tire pressure there. Also, I got into mountain biking this summer. And again, I'm learning more and more about tire pressure on a different road surface. But let's say we're gonna ride some gravel on a road bike. We got 700 by 28 on there. I pump it at about 70 if I know I'm gonna do some gravel that day because again, I want as much grip as possible when I am riding my, my bike and I want that tire to have as much surface area over that road as possible. So I would opt for a bigger tire, softer air pressure. And if you're thinking about doing more and more gravel, I would highly recommend using your road bike one. You don't need to go out and buy a gravel bike, which that is a podcast that I want to do down the road talking about, you know, what to look for in a gravel bike if you're if you're going down that road, but I would start off riding on your road bike if you feel comfortable with it. But just lower that tire pressure. I mean, you'd be amazed at what your bike can do on a road surface as long as your tires are prepared for it. So please, go out and test it. Start pumping up your tires before every single ride and experimenting with it. Figure out what works best for you because that is the biggest thing. You you can listen to what I do all day, but you may weigh 20 pounds less than me or you may weigh 20 pounds more than me. And that is going to affect how you ride on that bike. And then another thing to factor in, I would say, is I I usually pump up the back tire a little bit more than the front tire because you are going to have more weight on that back. And, of course, you have the cassette back there. You you have more of your weight back there. Also, with your weight distribution of your body, you have a little bit more weight on that back tire. So I'd recommend pumping that up a couple more PSI. And now I'm talking all about road bikes where road bikes – you usually don't start to see a difference until like 3 or 5 PSI. But here in Minnesota, we also ride in the winter on fat bikes. And when it comes to fat bikes, 1 PSI can make the difference. You know, 2 PSI, 3 PSI, that's a big difference when you're jumping from 10 to 13 PSI. So we're focusing on the road though today. And so if you're going to make a change, I would start off in 5 PSI increments and see the difference that five PSI makes. You're not really going to see much in the three PSI range. Of course, probably not in the one PSI range. So definitely start with five. I would start off, go out for a ride on what your tire recommends that highest point to put it at, and then start backing it down from there and figure out when it's too low. Cause there, there is a point where it is too low. You're going to feel slower. You're not going to feel as good and one go off field, but if you also have some KOM segments that you have on Strava, you know, test out those KOM segments, see if you're any faster, any slower. You're probably not going to see much of a difference there, but you could also check your power meter if you're riding with a power meter and see if you're any, if you're saving any watts or if you are putting on more watts. So that would be my recommendation, but please play around with it. It is a fun world. <laughs> I know it sounds super geeky, But I have really enjoyed playing around with my tire pressure because it can make your bike feel very different. And I'm super, super glad that there is a way for my bike to feel different. And all I have to do is let out a little bit of air completely free and completely awesome. And again, I just accidentally hit the boo. I got to figure out this sliding thing on this soundboard because I just wanted to see if I could get a good sound thanking the bike gods, that we can change our bike handling and feel with just letting out a little bit of air. But that is the tire pressure segment. We are going to get into training with a power meter next. Okay, let's get into training with a power meter. Yes, your world will be enlightened after you train with a power meter. I started training with one about 10 months ago. And I got done with the summer season here in Minnesota and started hopping on Zwift, which I'm a huge Zwift believer, and I'm hoping to do a full podcast on that in the near future because Zwift has been amazing, definitely changed my cycling game and changed it in the winter. Now, again, I am in Minnesota. My winters suck. I cannot ride my road bike in the winter, so I need something to ride indoors, and Zwift has been awesome. But... Let's talk about training with a power meter. Now I know power meters are expensive. I finally hit the button at the point that I wanted to. I did not accidentally hit that. so power meters are expensive, but are they worth it? Well, let's get into what are you planning to use that power meter for? So if you if you've thought about buying a power meter and you just you just don't know, here are a couple of things that I would recommend to you. One, are you planning to race? If you are planning to race, I would say a power meter is almost imperative. you, You need a power meter to see where you stack up on training ride day after day. And then also you can train in specific zones, specific powers, so that when you get into that race, you know exactly what your body can do. But if you are not planning to race, I don't necessarily see the reason to get a power meter unless you really like that data. Now, if you have the money, go out and go out and buy it. I mean, why not train with a power meter if you have the money and if you care about cycling? Cycling is your main form of working out. If it's a hobby, if you get pleasure from it, buy the power meter. If it's going to make you ride more fun and it's going to get you out riding more, buy a power meter. But if you just don't care about data, if you don't really like looking at your GPS unit to see how far you've gone, how fast you're going, what your cadence is, I would not recommend buying a power meter. You don't need it if you're just a recreational cyclist, if you're not racing. Even if you're going out and doing long, long rides and you put in a ton of miles, but you don't race, I don't necessarily see the point in a power meter. But again, if you think it's going to enhance your ride go out and buy it. I mean, there's a lot of options out there these days, and they they can come down in cost. I mean, there's power meters out there for under $500, which is great to see as well. And then if you are going to train on Zwift, though, even if you're not racing, I would recommend getting a power meter because it is going to make that so much more dialed in, and you'll get a lot of training plans based off of your FTP, your Functional Threshold Power which is going to all be determined with a power meter. So I would recommend that. So we got that out of the way. What do I ride with? I ride with the stages power meter. I have Altegra on my bike. Therefore I have a stages Altegra left crank. So I am only getting power off of one leg. But for me that I mean right now that's all I need. I'm just keep breaking into the racing scene. So it's not like I have aspirations to be winning, you know, level cat one, two, and three races. Right now I'm a four or five racer, so just getting into it, and the left side crank is all I need. I've been very pleased with Stages. I know some people have said that Stages is unreliable, but there's a couple pro tour teams that use it, such as Team Sky, and I've been very pleased with Stages, and then I paired that with my lazine GPS unit, which also value buy. I'm going to talk more about lazine in the future. Very happy with lazine Gives me everything I need at a very minimal cost in a GPS unit. So I'm super pleased with that. And then I also have a Wahoo heart rate monitor. So yes, I'm kind of a brand whore in that way. But I have loved using a power meter. And what do I like most about it? Well, it takes away the variables. It takes away all those inconsistencies that happen while training. For example, it's usually windy here in Minnesota. It's nothing like too windy, but you're, you're kind of always either getting a tailwind, headwind, you know, crosswind, something like that. So it takes that factor out of it. I can see how much power I am putting out. I can train at a certain power, no matter what the wind is. And so then I don't have to be concerned about what my speed is, what my heart rate is and what my cadence is if there's some other variable going on. Also, let's say I am training up a hill or I am riding up a long hill. I can stay at a consistent power while up a hill and, again, not have to be worried about my speed, stuff like that, and training in zones there. And so if you do train in zones, if you're, if you're new to it, basically you have six, six zones that can be off of your heart rate, your power, something like that. So if you're training right now off heart rate, Heart rate is a great thing to train off of, and I use both heart rate and power together to see how, how hard I'm working and stuff like that, but heart rate can be inconsistent because if you've ever watched your heart rate after a long sprint or after any type of sprint, the heart rate usually starts to pick up after you've hit that sprint and you're starting to cool down. Now, I don't know why that is from the science term, but if you're trying to use heart rate then for training zones, you're probably going to be working way too hard to get up to that zone, and then you're going to probably go into the red because you're working too hard to hit that heart rate zone. So, it's helpful to look at a power zone when training because it takes away a lot of the inconsistencies. And it's great because you learn a lot about yourself. After you start using that power meter for an extended period of time, you start to know, hey, I can hit you know, 250 watts for 10 minutes, let's say. And I know that I, I'm still going to have gas left in the tank after I do 250 watts for 10 minutes. And that's what's amazing about it. It, ta- it taught me so much about my body. So my FTP right now, The last time I did it was back on Zwift in the winter, and it was at 241. And I'm excited to see how that has changed after this summer of riding. But I know that I can hold 241 for an hour, and I'm gonna be okay. Like, I I know I can push through that pain. I know, you know, if I'm a half hour in at 241, I can push through that pain because I still have it left in my tank. You know, whereas before, you're like, man, I, I am hurting. I don't know how much longer I can hold this you know, or or I may go way too hard, like, man, I am feeling good today, I am just going to blow it and go really hard from the start in a training ride or in a race, something like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, 25 minutes in, I'm bonked, and I'm like, what the heck, like, I was feeling so good, and I just had no indication of, like, why that was, well, now I can see, hey, I just put out 400 watts for two minutes, yeah, no wonder I'm bonking, so that's where power for a power meter for me has really come in handy is I can, I just know so much more about my body. I know how hard I can push it. I know when to push it. I know when not to push it. And it's been great for, you know, I'll go out and do hundred mile rides by myself. And when I got no protection, I got to save my energy for that full hundred miles. And that's where I can just use that power meter to basically say, Hey, I am not going over 190 Watts. I'm going to try to stay under 190 Watts. And if I feel good after like 80 miles, then I can push it a little bit. But I'm going to stay under that 180. I'm also going to monitor my heart rate to make sure that's not going up too high. But as long as I'm staying under 180, 190, I'm going to make it through that whole 100 miles. Whereas before, I had no way I had no way to gauge that. And I, all I had to do was go off my feel. So if I'm like 50 miles in, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm feeling good. I might push it a little bit harder. And then 75 miles in, I'm like, damn, I'm done. And that's because I didn't know, I didn't know where my body was at. So I would highly recommend getting a power meter. And then lastly, you can build so many training programs based off of your power. And again, you can hit those power numbers, those power zones, and not have to worry about anything else that is going on around you, such as road surface, what type of incline you're on, decline you're on wind that day temperature that day you know you're just hitting that power and you can translate or you can bring that workout indoors outdoors basically anywhere which is great as well so i would highly recommend using a power meter because it will step up your training game now again i go back to though only get a power meter if you think it's gonna a increase your ride if or increase your ability to ride or excitement to ride something like that second if you are going to race i would highly highly recommend a power meter as it's going to take your training to new levels but hey if if you're like i am happy with my speed my cadence seeing how far i've gone my time and if that's what gives you enjoyment then don't 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 get a power meter And then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about what type of power meter you should buy. Like I said, there is a lot of power meters out on the market. And really, the only power meter that I would stay away from is a hub power meter. And so that is usually a back wheel with a hub that is able to tell how much power you are putting down. And those were big maybe like 10 years ago as the power meter scene was getting more and more popular. But in today's world, there are so many non-hub I mean, there's very few hub ones left, but I would stay away from those because they are much more expensive to repair because you have to work on the whole back hub of it. It's tougher to find tires or um, wheels. if, Say you break a spoke or your rim, something like that. Just stay away from the hub ones. So either get a crank-based one or a pedal-based one. There is Garmin who have the pedal-based ones, and I feel there's a couple more coming out that are doing pedal-based. I think Look now has a pedal-based one as well. And so those are great. But I, like I said, I have the stages. I have the crank-based one. I've been very happy with it. And get the dual-sided one if you have the money. But if you don't have the money for a dual-sided, which dual-sided can usually starts in that $1,000 range, I would stay away from that. Just get one crank or... One pedal or something like that. You probably don't need both. But it is something that in the future, if you really like it, if you want, you know, a little bit better accuracy and better numbers, then get that dual-sided crank. But otherwise, there is a lot of good resources out there. If you just type in what type of power meter should I buy, and a bunch of other cycling magazines and stuff like that, will give you side-by-side comparisons of each one plus price point. But Go experiment with it if you do end up buying it because it has definitely changed my training. So that is it for the podcast today. Oh, I know. We are all sad that it is over. But, hey, we will be back. Not we. I will be back with another podcast, and we will get you out riding more because that is what the cycling podcast is all about. It is all about getting you out riding more talking about any and all things cycling. And if you want to follow me even more, check out Instagram page at cyclingwithwatts. Also, I am on Twitter at cyclingwithwatts. There is no I in with. Twitter handle would be too long if it had the I in with. So it is cycling, W-2-H, Watts. Go check that out on Twitter. Otherwise, I will have a blog coming out soon. Actually, you can already go to cycling with Watts. It is just not populating that much with blogs. But I am trying to do all things cycling, bringing that to you. So thank you for listening. Get out there and ride. Keep that head down. Keep those elbows tucked in and pedal like hell. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great and wonderful, amazing, beautiful, all the other adjectives that describe amazing. Have that kind of day. Adios.